If you have a Bible with you, you can open to John's Gospel, chapter 9. We'll look at verses 8 through 12 this morning, and the text is also printed in the bulletin on the next page. And then uh, there's some Bibles available on the table in the back there if you need. <clears throat> so um, we're going to talk about everybody's favorite topic this morning, and that's evangelism. Um, I say evangelism, you say ugh, evangelism. <laughs> Uh, uh, kids, have you heard that word at home? It may be one of the, the words that your parents whisper or say when they think you're sleeping. It's, uh, it's actually, it's, it's not a bad word. Evangelism is not a bad word. It's actually not a word that's in the Bible. The word evangelism doesn't show up in the Bible. Uh, so that means we don't really have to do it, right? Um, no, it comes from the word for gospel. That's, uh, it's very closely related to the word for the gospel, which means basically good news, good message. It just basically means the telling of the message of Jesus Christ. It's good news about Jesus Christ, and evangelism is talking about that, talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. The Bible uses language, though, like testifying, it uses language like bearing witness about Christ. Um, the Lord says it a few times in Isaiah, which we read in our Old Testament reading. Nathan read, uh, God said a couple times, you are my witnesses. You are my witnesses. And the Lord says it again in the New Testament. He repeats it to his disciples. He says, you will be my witnesses. It's a major, it's a major feature of what it means to be one of God's people. You will be my witnesses, Jesus says. That is to say very simply that God's people will talk about Jesus. God's people talk about Jesus, about who he is, about what he's done, about what he's doing right now, about what he will do, all of the things that we've learned from him, we repeat, we talk about with others. Now, unfortunately, there's a lot of baggage associated with the idea of evangelism, the way that it's often talked about. <clears throat> I think there are a lot of Christians who are dismayed that it's a central feature of the Christian life. I know there are a lot of non-Christians who are dismayed that evangelism is a central feature of the Christian life, uh, the way we talk about it sometimes. But <clears throat> really, though, the reason why evangelism is a difficult topic for us, why we're reluctant, why when I say evangelism, you say, ugh, <laughs> and somewhere in the back of your mind, you just kind of shut things down and stop listening. Um, the, the reason it's a difficult topic for us to think about, let alone engage in it, it, it might just be from a misunderstanding of what it really is. A misunderstanding of what it really is. Our problem is with the baggage associated with bearing witness to Christ. It's not a, it's not a problem with bearing witness to Christ in and of itself, if, if we really understand that. Our problem is with the baggage, and it's baggage we don't need to carry. One main piece of that baggage that we're prone to lug around is the idea that we have to figure out how to be successful evangelists successful. We've got to figure that out. We've got to manage it. We've got to be effective. We've got to produce results. That's baggage that we don't have to carry around. <clears throat> Here's the main thing I think we can take away from our passage this morning, which we'll read in just a moment. People who have had a real encounter with Jesus become faithful witnesses, not necessarily successful ones. Faithful witnesses. And when we start to get a handle on that, it's more than just a relief, I think. It, uh, we can actually start to sense the tremendous privilege in it. And that's what we'll talk about this morning. So um, let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. 
Father, we pray that you would overcome all the obstacles in our hearts and in our minds. To hearing what you have to say to us, we pray that you would speak your word to us and uh, that it would be effective by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would change us from the inside out to receive your word, to have a real encounter with you through Jesus Christ here as we read about him and um, about your good news. We pray that this encounter would be meaningful to each and every one here that we would respond to Jesus Christ with faith this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The neighbors and those who had seen him, this is the blind man that Jesus healed, that uh, John chapter 9 sort of focuses in on. Those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is not this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. Well, he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So, not much going on here, right? This might seem like a pretty boring, sort of a transitional passage to you, just a simple, unimpressive, mundane account that connects the, the rather interesting healing story that we read about last week that comes right before this from the previous paragraph with the rather interesting conflict story that we'll look at that comes sort of next in the, in the next paragraph, but, uh, but this part is just kind of the boring, you just, your eyes skim over it, right? Um, there are actually a couple of really fascinating things going on here. First of all, after the healing, which we read about last week, <clears throat> after the healing, Jesus now fades into the background, and most of the rest of the chapter focuses on interactions between people who are not Jesus, uh, and, and they're not even his disciples. It's not even the main disciples that we see throughout the Gospels. It's, it's these other people who are non, non-important people, really, in terms of the, the way the Gospels go. It's this blind man and his neighbors and his parents and the Pharisees, the leaders. None of them are Jesus. The Gospels are about Jesus. But here, this whole chapter is pretty much just recording the account. And it's a, it's a fairly unique account in that regard in the Gospels. Uh, there's not much airtime given to people who are not Jesus in the Gospels. But here we have a whole chapter talking about the interactions between these people who are not Jesus. So the spotlight is on him. It's, it's probably an important factor about how we should think about what's, what's happening because Jesus is, in a sense, sharing the Gospel spotlight with this man whom he has healed. Um, he's faded into the background and he's thrust this man forward into the spotlight. And that's a big deal. That's a really big deal for how we think about Jesus. Second, um, I think it's interesting that even though it might, it might seem just like a tedious recounting, it's tedious, of, of the events that we just read about in these verses before. It's not something we've forgotten since then. It was just a verse before. Uh, it's not something to be skimmed over, but rather contemplated. The passage could very simply read, the blind man's neighbors asked him what happened and he told them. That's it, just one verse. Could have been one, ver- one verse. 
<laughs> right? Uh, but instead you get this rehearsal of what just happened. You get a rehearsal. We just read about it in a lot of words, and now we get a lot of words saying exactly the same thing we just read about. And so our eyes are prone to skim this part over. I think that's, that's normal. But if you're familiar with the Bible, you recognize there are a lot of times, there are a lot of times where an event occurs or a conversation takes place or something significant happens, and then immediately afterward, it's recounted verbatim in its entirety. Something happens, and then the Bible shows someone talking about that thing again in what we consider to be excruciating detail. We don't need to read it again, and we just go to the next part, uh, and, and sometimes even says over and over, multiple times, multiple times that this event is rehearsed verbatim. Um, Think of Paul's conversion in Acts 9. There's just one of, there's a lot of examples of this in the scriptures. Paul's conversion in Acts 9, how many times does Acts go on to again and again hear Paul recount this as he's preaching to this or that person or group, telling the whole story over and over again, the whole story again recorded to different audiences. It's it's a pattern that God gives us quite a few times in the scriptures, apparently God is interested in showing us that our rehearsing the story is part of the story that he wants to tell. Our rehearsing the story is part of the story that he's communicating in the scriptures. We are given the privilege of actually participating in the gospel story by echoing the gospel story by repeating God's words after him, by faithfully conveying, even verbatim, what we've heard him say, what we've heard Christ say, what we've seen in Christ, by bearing witness and by testifying to Christ, we actually live his life with him. We, we identify with him. We participate in his own mission as he is sent by the Father. So let's get into the passage and see this dynamic at work. Here's the setup. Uh, Again, we read about this last week. Jesus sees this man who was born blind. This man had never seen. He was born blind, and Jesus heals him. And he does so in a way that says that he's God, that he's the creator. He's come to make a new creation. He's come to give us actually spiritual sight, not just to restore this man's physical sight, but to uh, restore our spiritual sight and give us a vision of God, to let us to reveal God to us and make us to know and see and recognize God. Ultimately, as brilliant as healing the man's physical sight is, the main point of the whole story that we see through the chapter, uh, all of John 9, is actually to grant this man spiritual sight. That's the main point. The ability to recognize Jesus for who he really is and to demonstrate that actually Jesus is the only one who can open our eyes to see him, to see God. So the blind man uh, here, he starts off really only knowing Jesus' name. That's all the information he has. And he's able to talk about the brief instructions that he was given that led to his healing. That's all. That's all he knows. But as the story goes on, he becomes able to see Actually, Jesus is a prophet. And then he becomes able to see that he he came from God. He must have come from God. 
And then finally, he's able to see that Jesus is the Son of Man and he's his Lord. And he addresses him as such. So his spiritual sight, this blind man whose vision was restored physically, his spiritual sight is being restored throughout the chapter as a result of his encounter with Jesus. That's the significant part, is that when you come into an encounter with Jesus, things like this happen. And that is the most profound transformation that can take place in a life, in any life, in your life. Coming to see God in Jesus Christ is the most important transformation that can take place. It surpasses by far the restoration of your physical sight. But here we are, early in his story, in the chapter, in John 9. And this man has just received his sight, and he returns to the place where Jesus had found him, presumably the place where he had spent a lot of time begging. He's a blind man. In that culture, that just means you're going to beg on a street corner and live at the generosity, the pleasure of other people because of their charity. Right? So you're asking for charity. He's in a, a usual spot. Maybe you, you drive past people who are begging and um, they're, they're in a spot over and over again. Or That's that guy's corner. I recognize him, right? Um, presumably this is the place where he had spent a lot of time begging, and his, but his neighbors have a hard time recognizing him. I mean, he might have been there for years, but they have a hard time recognizing him. It says that the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar, they'd seen him before, were saying, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he's like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. Right. So there might be several reasons for their confusion. It could be that the neighbors had just overlooked the blind beggar before. I mean, how many times have you driven past that same fellow standing on the street corner? But, you know, in a crowd, you might not be able to actually pick him out. You know the feeling. You avoid beggars. You avoid street people. You avoid eye contact with people who are down, who are suffering. You look away and you hurry by. And there's something awkward about getting too close to people like this to linger and to acknowledge their humanity, it takes a lot out of us. It requires too much from us. They're a state of misery and suffering. It might be contagious. Their suffering threatens to remind us, at the very least, that we've crafted an illusion of a nice and easy life, but that it's an illusion. We don't want that to come crashing down. So it's understandable that they hadn't maybe really looked at this man much before as a blind beggar, even though he'd been right there among them his whole life. Or maybe maybe it is that when Jesus healed his eyes, that there had been something wrong with his physical appearance, and, um, and there was a real outward change in his appearance. Having healthy eyes might make a man look pretty different, maybe. Uh, or maybe the impossibility of what had just happened to him was too much. Just cannot compute what's happening Here, they could not believe it was the same man. People born blind don't ever just receive their sight again. It never happens. Never. It couldn't have happened. Since miracles don't happen, since that's our presupposition, miracles don't happen, oh, this guy must just look like that beggar, but he's not really the same guy. Um, That kind of disbelief is understandable, isn't it? It's understandable. And I think it's probably something kind of like that. Here's the thing. 
a greater transformation has taken place in this man's life than reconnecting his optic nerves. A greater transformation has taken place. His encounter with Jesus has produced a spiritual transformation that is beginning to play itself out in the man's life and in his relationships. Through his encounter with Jesus, he has received spiritual sight, and that means he's become a spiritual person. Through his encounter with Jesus, this man has become a spiritual person. Something like a resurrection has taken place. He's been born again, and when Jesus himself is resurrected later in John's gospel, he also is hard to recognize even by people who knew his face, his closest friends. Hard to recognize, even though he's the same man. This, this blind man, in his encounter with Jesus, has somehow become connected to Jesus, and he identifies with Jesus, and is becoming increasingly like Jesus, So it's no real wonder that his neighbors don't recognize him after a transformation like this. After all, they don't recognize Jesus either. This has been a big theme recently in John's gospel, the last few chapters. Who is Jesus? Well, we're not really sure. He could be this, he could be that, whatever, even though Jesus is telling them very clearly, this is who I am. They're still debating among themselves. They're not actually asking these questions of Jesus. It's just that the crowd is debating, well, maybe he's this guy. No, he can't be that guy. And now here with this man. Who is this man? We're not really sure. He could be, but no. Even though he's right there telling them, no, I'm the guy, right? And they're debating among themselves more than they are asking him, right? Um, There's some parallels there with the way we've seen Jesus interact with these same people. And when the blind man confirms who he is for his neighbors, he uses some pretty interesting language. This is very um, deliberate, I think, on John's part to uh, include this language in the gospel. It says in verse 9, he kept saying, I am the man. And actually, literally, it, it is that he kept saying, I am. I am. Ego imi. The same language Jesus keeps using about himself. With Jesus, it's the divine self-designation. This is the way God reveals himself to us. I am. And when Jesus says it, he's identifying himself with God because he is God. He's God in the flesh. So he's using the language that way. I am. Language that appears a lot. Very specifically, very deliberately in John's gospel. Mostly from Jesus' lips for a very specific purpose. With Jesus, he's identifying himself as God. The blind man isn't saying that he's God. That's surely not what he's saying. He is identifying himself with Jesus, even if he's not really aware of the fact that he's using the language that way. It's written that way for us to see. It's highlighted highlighted for us for our sake. An encounter with Jesus brings someone into close personal connection with Jesus. As a gift of his grace... Jesus gives us the privilege. He even gives us the right to talk about ourselves the way that he talks about himself. That's 
Maybe that sounds pretty bold. Maybe that sounds presumptuous, but that's how our salvation works. Jesus gives us the privilege of talking about ourselves the way that he talks about himself. That's exactly how our salvation works. What is true of Jesus Christ as a human being in relationship with God, he says, that's become true of us vicariously through faith as we're connected to Jesus Christ, as we have a close personal encounter with him, as we entrust ourselves to him and become united to him by his Holy Spirit. Vicariously in him, what's true of his relationship with God becomes true of us in our relationship with God. That's how our salvation works. He gives us the right and the privilege of talking about ourselves the way that he talks about himself. So when Jesus talks all throughout this section, he talks about being sent by God. That's the way Jesus talks about himself over and over again. He was sent by God. When you come into personal relationship with Jesus, you also will talk about being sent by God. That becomes part of your life. You're participating in Jesus' life. In fact, Jesus makes that connection explicit in John's gospel. He says in chapter 20, As the Father has sent me, so now also I am sending you. In the same way, just as I was sent by my Father, you are being sent by me. And that's what happened here with this blind man. As we saw last week, it's pretty profound, all the connections that you can draw between all the different parts of uh, chapter 9. We saw last week that the sent one, Jesus talking about himself being sent by God, the sent one sent this man to the pool, which is called sent. Just loaded with that same language in the paragraph we looked at last week. This man was, this blind man who was healed, he, he was in a sense baptized in the pool of missions, participating in the missionary life of the sent one. Just before Jesus healed him, Jesus said, we must work the works of him who sent me. He didn't say, I must work the works of him who sent me. He said, we Who's the we that Jesus is talking about here? He's talking about the blind man sharing in his own work as he has received his mission from the Father, so also this blind man will be sent forth. Jesus' mission becomes ours because Jesus' life becomes ours. Because he, he gives us the privilege of speaking of ourselves the same way that he speaks of himself as being sent by God. Jesus says over and over again, he only says what he hears from God. He says it over and over again. I only say what I have heard from God. And in the same way, we only say what we have heard from Jesus. That's what the blind man does. He, he only says what he heard from Jesus verbatim. Jesus Christ himself is the faithful witness. What he hears from God in his relationship with God, he proclaims to us. He's the faithful witness, and that's what John calls him in the book of Revelation. It's a big deal being a witness for John. And when Jesus, this faithful witness, when he touches us, we become like him. We become faithful witnesses, even when that means we're not necessarily successful witnesses. 
how frequently do we see Jesus as an effective evangelist, as successful? Yeah, he's pretty successful in getting people to dislike him and murder him, right? Um, But he's faithful. He's the true spiritual man, and people don't recognize him. And the blind man who's touched by Jesus has become spiritual, and now people don't recognize him either because he's connected to Jesus Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the natural person, who are the neighbors that are around this guy, the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. You've got to have Christ restore your spiritual sight in order to begin to recognize Jesus and everything like Jesus and everyone like Jesus. So they demand to know what happened and how it happened. Because people can't just change like this. What happened? We've got to get our minds around this. So they said to him, well, how were your eyes op- opened? He answered, the man called Jesus, made mud, anointed my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. So he's just echoing the good news. That's all he's doing. He's just echoing. The good news, he's recounting Jesus' work in his life. He doesn't know much about it yet. He's just rehearsing. He doesn't have a perfect systematic theology. He doesn't know all the fancy apologetics tricks. He doesn't know just the right words to convince and convert his hearers. He isn't trying to manage their response to his testimony. He's just honestly, faithfully, bearing witness, telling them what he knows about Jesus and the effects of his encounter with Jesus. And that's what happens when you have a real transforming encounter with Jesus. Just like Jesus faithfully echoes what he hears from his Father, so you faithfully echo what you have heard from Jesus. Have you, have you heard his words? Has relationship with him changed your life? If he's touched you and made you spiritual, then a greater thing has happened to you than even the restoration of physical sight that happened to this blind man. And if you can imagine this guy or someone being excited to talk about that, born blind and now I see because of this guy Jesus, if you can imagine someone being excited and celebrating something like that, how much more gladly should we speak of Christ's grace to us? He gave his life for us so that we could have fellowship with God. Not in some way, though, that calls attention to ourselves, in our pride. I think this is the way we can talk about Christ when we uh, give our personal testimony sometimes. You know, I finally got smart and became good and voted for Jesus, and you can too make ourselves sort of the center of the story? No, a faithful witness boasts only of who Jesus is and what he has done. Do you know who he is? Are you aware of what he has done in the gospel, what he's said? Has it made a difference in your life? Are you able to repeat it very simply to other people? Are you interested enough in Jesus to be talking about him? Even if you find yourself in a conversation with someone about Jesus and the first question they ask, you have to answer, I don't know. 
what this guy does. That's okay. What's wrong with that? That's honest. That's faithful. No need to pretend that you know something that you don't. Part of your life as a Christian, as a believer, as a disciple, as a follower of Christ means that you will be discovering more and more about Jesus along the way. You're not just born again with complete knowledge of God. You don't know everything about Jesus and about God right off the bat from the beginning. You don't. But that spiritual sight and your ability to give testimony to him, they, they, they increase just like it did in this blind man's life. He saw Jesus more and more clearly as things unfold, right? Ronnie Whitaker is a commentator. He says, the man's admission of ignorance is an attribute of a true disciple, revealing him to be honest and humble. Jesus frees you from needing to be right all the time. Jesus frees you from needing to have all the answers all the time or always say the right thing or always be able to impress others with your theological knowledge. Jesus frees you from those things. Saying, I don't know, in response to somebody's question about Jesus, saying, I don't know, is only hard when you're building your identity on your knowledge, on your own knowledge. But that's not what bearing witness to Christ means. Bearing witness to Christ means testifying that we're, we're building our identity on him. He's freely given it to us. We're seeking to find ourselves in him. He's the important one here. The only thing that matters to me is my relationship to him and knowing him more. And I'm going to grow in that just like everybody else is. So there's things I don't know yet. Okay. Let's go to him and ask those questions together. But that's the great relief and that's the great privilege that we're given as a gift. It's God's idea and it's his revelation to you. He's made it known to you that what's true of his son Jesus, his identity, his relationship with the Father, what's true of him is also true of you as a gift of his grace as you put your faith in Christ. That's what it means to participate in the life of Christ. Jesus says, we've got some work to do, not just me, but we have some work to do to work the works that my Father sent me to work. And he brings you in. That's a big deal. He brings you all the way in to his relationship with the Father. He brings you in. He opens your eyes. He makes you new. And along the way, as you echo what you have heard from him, not before, but as, as you're echoing what you've heard from Jesus, you come to know him more deeply, just like this blind man did. The ultimate privilege The ultimate privilege of bearing witness to Jesus Christ, it isn't notches on your belt, right, as you are instrumental in the conversion of other people. You can't convert others. Only Jesus can do that. That's clear from the scriptures, especially from this chapter here. Only Jesus can convert other people. But the ultimate privilege is sharing in Christ's life, sharing in his mission, sharing in his work, his life becoming our life, his work, his mission becoming ours. In order to know him and relate to him more, and Jesus allows the spotlight to swing over onto you, and the effect is that he is revealed more and more. 
He is revealed more and more for your faith, for your trust, for your relationship with him. So this is your homework for the rest of your life. This is the gift of God's grace to you, actually, to get to know Jesus more and more by talking with other people about him and faithfully echoing everything that you've heard and seen in him. We close with Isaiah 43.10, which we read earlier. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son into the world to live our life for us, to take our humanity and perfect it in relationship with you, to die the death that we deserve to die under your wrath for us so that we wouldn't have to die, so we wouldn't have to experience eternal separation from you, and then to take up life again and bear it into glory so that we can know that that is also our place in the universe. Our eternal destiny is to be with you where Jesus is, everything true of him being true of us as a gift of your grace. And we pray that you would help us to be faithful witnesses, that you would help us to think and to speak about the gospel, about what we've seen and heard in Jesus Christ, that you would help us to rehearse and echo your words after you in ways that we can come more uh, deeply into a relational uh, knowledge of who you are, that you are the true and only God. And um, we pray this not just for our sake, for our own personal knowledge of you, but also that you would use us, that you would um, use us as instruments in other people discovering Jesus and coming into an encounter with him for their relationship and their eternal life as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.